Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Matt Moscona, he is the host of After Further Review on ESPN 104.5 down there in Baton Rouge and throughout all of Louisiana. And he joins us on the phone lines. Matt, appreciate it as always, man. How you doing? What up, fellas? Doing good. Glad to be with y'all. Yeah, well, it's good to have you on, too. And uh, I wish that there was, uh, I'm sure both sides wish that these two teams were 3-0 and heading into the game itself down there in Baton Rouge. But I feel like yeah, coming off of a loss against BYU, maybe a little easier than three weeks ago losing to Florida State. But just looking at LSU into this game and after three games, didn't want to lose that one. But just how's the overall season going? How do people feel about it? They still pretty confident. Just what's the overall vibe right now in Baton Rouge? Well, I think it's changed week to week. Obviously, expectations were playoff level. But going into week one, you lose to Florida State. And a lot of those defensive issues carried into week two, at least the beginning of the Grambling game, where Grambling had about 170 yards of offense in the first quarter, or through three drives, I should say. Uh, since then, John, I think defensively, LSU's made a few changes, started to find itself a little bit, which we talk about. But the consistent theme through through three games so far for this team has been the offense has been pretty awesome. So through 12 quarters, they had one bad offensive quarter against Florida State, and that's when everything unraveled against uh, the Seminoles in the fourth quarter. But aside from that, I mean, you know, I, you look around the league right now, and you can understand why it feels wide open. It's because there are many good quarterbacks in the league this year, and I think LSU's got the best one. I mean, you all may, may disagree. Obviously, KJ's played a lot of football there as well. But it's a reason why LSU was confident coming into this year and a reason that's sort of manifesting right now is you've got a, a guy in Jaden Daniels who's made you know, 50 starts and accounted for 70% of your offense a year ago and is playing about as well as he has in his entire career right now. What is it about Jaden Daniels that makes him so good, and why do you think maybe on the outside there's a perception that maybe he's not as good as, or you know, people aren't giving him the credit he deserves? Well, I'll, I'll take those in reverse order. I think part of it is just when some – we're all guilty of this a little bit. I think we get caught up in draft projections. And I think this is an amazing quarterback year for college football. I mean, when you have Caleb, Caleb Williams returning, there's Drake May. You can look around the country and see Michael Penix or Sam Hartman and Bo Nix playing so well at Oregon. I mean, there's there's great quarterback play all over the country. Jordan Travis at Florida State. But I think because Jaden doesn't project the next level, maybe the way some of the other guys do, that maybe we're all kind of guilty of, of not acknowledging what he does well. What he does well is, man, his – there's the, the tangible and the intangible. The intangible is that he's unflappable. It's it's kind of impressive in in that you just never really see him get too high or too low. And I I don't know if that's necessarily a great thing because you'd love to maybe see more emotion. Um but it also allows him when there is a bad play for not to affect him on the next play. So there's that component. The other is he is a dynamic athlete. And if if a defense decides they're going to bring pressure. You better get him on the ground because if you don't, he is really going to hurt you with his legs. The guy ran for 900 yards last year. Now, he's a different style of, of runner than, than KJ is, but you know, if you sit back and play coverage, LSU's got enough receivers that are going to get open and Jade's going to find him, and he's not going to make the mistake to get you beat. So 
He's just a really, really good college football player. I don't know that anybody's got him in the first round mock draft, but you know, the next nine games could go a long way to, to changing that. But um, he's a he's just a fantastic, experienced college quarterback that can beat you with his arm or his feet. Well, we mentioned the offense and uh, for the numbers and everything, they've been doing a great job on it and, and running and in throwing. But uh, the defense on the other side of it, not to say it's been bad by any stretch, but uh, how, you could say it was bad. You could say it was bad, John. <laughs> hey, listen, we, we've seen some bad defenses in Arkansas, so we know about bad defenses. But, I mean, it's been one of those teams where people see it so used to LSU always having a great defense, a bunch of athletes and everything. Do you feel like maybe the defense is better than what it's shown, at least statistically, or is that maybe one of the weaknesses that this LSU team has? It's, so the, there's not even a question. Like, this is not debatable. If anybody tries to answer to the contrary, they're, they're wrong or trying to pull wool over your eyes. LSU's most glaring weakness is the secondary. And it's and it's so weird, to your point, John, because for years, LSU's had that reputation as DBU. Like, you don't need me to run through the names. You know all the names of guys that have, that have come through this program in the secondary, and it's just been rinse and repeat. Well, they don't have that. You know, when I know John left, look, a guy like Dwight McLaughlin, that you all know. He transferred out. Eli Ricks transferred out. And it left LSU in a bind in the secondary where in consecutive years they're their secondary is basically entirely made up of transfers, so they're trying to cobble it together. What What is working for LSU right now, and it's taken them 12 quarters to kind of figure it all out, but their defensive front seven is really good. And they, they went through this experiment of making Harold Perkins an inside linebacker. That was a total mistake. I think Harold wanted to do it because he wanted to project himself as a as a middle backer at the next level, and it took one game against Florida State for him to realize that's not what you do, man. So, you know, shuffling the, the middle backers, moving Perkins back outside, getting Mason Smith back. The defensive front seven looks really good, guys. It looks like an LSU front seven. The secondary is a real, real problem. And if LSU can't bring pressure with their front seven, it leaves the secondary vulnerable. And that that is something that I don't know how you just fix that because – you can't go into free agency and just find new defensive backs. So, I mean, that's that is that is their Achilles heel. It's, it's not even a question. So you mentioned the front seven being really good. Now, linebackers specifically at LSU, it's always overlooked. We talk about the secondary, whether they're good or bad, but LSU, you typically think about the defensive line and the secondary. The linebackers are always overlooked. So give us some more insight on the linebackers specifically. Yeah. And, Joe, you know, I mean, like they've, LSU's produced good. I mean, you look at guys like Devin White and Kendall Beckwith and Duke Riley and Deion Jones, and even back to Ali Highsmith and you know uh, Kelvin Shepard and Perry Robin. They had tons of NFL linebackers. It's LSU's defense has always been really good, man. It's just it's a weird year. But yeah, to your point, so they they went through this experiment of making Harold Perkins an inside linebacker, and they were he was terrible. He was non-existent against Florida State. I mean, there's like if you watched the game, you saw it. He just got caught up in the wash with 300-pound offensive linemen the whole game and, and didn't impact the game at all. So Greg Penn was an 80-tackle guy a season ago as a rotational player. He's just, he's starting now on the inside. Omar Spates is a is a fifth-year starter that they brought in from Oregon State who was all Pac-12, and, and he's a really good player as well. He did not play last week, guys. He had an injury, and so his status this week is probable. But how effective will, will he be is a big question. And then if you're looking for a new name that, that you're not going to be familiar with, but it's worth keeping an eye on it, it's Whit Weeks. He's going to wear number 40. 
and he's a true freshman, but, man, they love this kid. And they, they could have put some veteran guys out there last week with Omar Spates out, and instead they played the true freshman, and he led the team in tackles. So on the road, third game of his college career at Mississippi State. So they've, they've got some new faces there, but they got a lot of talent there uh, as well. Like I said, guys, the front seven at LSU is fine. It's, it, it really is on Saturday, you know, is KJ going to be able to sit back there with those receivers and pick apart the Celestia secondary? If they can move the ball through the air, they can make it a game. What was the idea behind moving Harold Perkins around? Was it just that this guy has a lot of speed, a lot of talent, you want to make him a more versatile player and kind of move him around so you can keep the offense guessing? What was what, what was uh, the reasoning behind it? I, I, and I don't think Brian Kelly will, will say this, but Harold wanted to do it because I think – I'm sure you guys have had examples there of this, but I'll give you an example of, of Devin White, for example. So when Devin White came to LSU, you know he was a guy that was a super versatile player in high school. Like he, he played all over the field, running back, linebacker, played edge. Well, he wasn't ready to be an inside backer. So you, when you sometimes have these really athletic guys that are freshmen, while they learn the linebacker position, you say, okay, just go on third down and go rush the passer. And that's basically what Perkins did. Remember, he didn't really even emerge last year to the middle of last season. And in his mind, I think he wanted to be Devin White. He wanted to be a guy that could be a three-down inside linebacker. But I, that's just not him. And, I, and, and honestly, the somewhat frustrating part of it, guys, is LSU invested so much equity in this offseason working with, with him at, back, at inside backer at, in the spring through all of fall camp. That's where he lined up. And then in one game, you realize, yeah, this this ain't it. And so they moved him back out. But I think for Harold, he needed to see it. And the coaches were willing to, to give him that chance. But it's just so clear, man. I, I don't know if y'all have noticed, but there are guys that make a lot of money in the NFL rushing passer. <laughs> and uh, I think Harold Perkins is probably going to be one of those guys in another year. Speak with Matt Moscona of ESPN 104.5 Baton Rouge, host of After Further Review here on Out of Bounds. Uh, yeah, we we're talking about Perkins. Is, is there? Is he feeling okay? Like, can, is he maybe coming down with something or anything like that? Because Arkansas's offensive line was has not been great, and people still have nightmares of what Harold Perkins was able to do last year. So I think Razorback fans are hoping that maybe, maybe he's just not himself. Maybe he's not himself this game. Uh, I, look, if uh, if Arkansas had drawn LSU week one, and Perkins was playing that off-ball linebacker spot, you might have gotten your wish. But. Uh, I think he settled back in in that same role, that, that role where he was a year ago. And I mean, you of course you all you saw it when he was. I mean, that was by far his, his best game. I mean, in, in a game where KJ didn't play and Malik Hornsby got the start and Arkansas was having trouble moving the ball, Harold Perkins just made sure that that it, it, you know, that that plane never got off the ground. He, um, no, I mean, I, I, John, I know you're joking, man, but he's a, he's a special cat, man. Yeah. I mean, they don't come around too often. They're free to the five star and and all that sort of stuff. But he'll. You know, he'll be he'll be coming off the edge on Saturday, and you know, I think one of the really interesting things that Kendall Bryles in this game a year ago did in trying to move Perkins away was the way he flexed formations. He forced Perkins out of the box and into coverage, and I'll I'll be curious to see if Dan Enos doesn't do some of the some of the same on Saturday. Well, and the fact that you brought it up, it, it's been interesting. I know that you have different teams, different situations, different games, but it is fascinating that the this game between Arkansas and LSU the past three years, the winners won by three points every single time. LSU's won two of those, and ironically enough, it was the two in Fayetteville, and then Arkansas won the one in Baton Rouge, and 
I know uh, Ed Orgeron was basically a lame duck coach. But my, my question is, is I think the line here at Bet Saracen that we use here in Arkansas has LSU opened up at 18 and a half. I think they're at 17 and a half right now. Do you see this maybe being a lower scoring game, more of a defensive battle, maybe what we've seen in previous years? Or do you think that that line's about right and LSU is going to go out there and dominate Arkansas? I, I don't know that I think I see it being a defensive battle, but I think 18 in this game is way too many. I just, I mean, I don't have the series history in front of me, but man, there aren't too many times that these, these two teams have played where you've seen games finish with a, a three score margin. Um, and John, I mean, you and I have talked about this on, on my show and on your show so many times over the years, but the, you know, the emotion of the game is always an interesting dynamic that, that changes this year, right? It's, you know, for years and years, LSU fans resented the Friday after Thanksgiving thing and begged to get it moved. The league, the league complies and moves it, and moves it to the week after Bama. So you were always going to catch LSU on a come down after after a big after you know a, an emotional high against Bama. Uh, there's there that excuse doesn't exist now. I mean, it's it's September. You're healthy. You're fresh. It's it's a relatively benign, just a, another SEC game, right? So, um, I'm I'm curious to see how that how that may impact or play out what type of you know effort. But I mean LSU should be sky high for this one. But I, I fall in the category, guys, of LSU is always going to get Arkansas's best shot. And I I've just seen this too many times. <laughs> I've seen this too many times not go the way oddsmakers think it's going to. So I would be I, I'll put it to you this way. I think LSU wins the game, but I would be very surprised if it's if it's a three score margin at the end. So we know how good Harold Perkins is as a pass rusher, and in a game against Arkansas last year, not only was he a pass rusher, but he was uh, a spy on Malik Hornsby. Now for Arkansas, the fans would like to see KJ get more involved with the running game, especially with Rocket not being able to go. Do you expect to see something similar from Harold Perkins being kind of a spy on KJ? Even though third down, he's coming after him, but in, on other downs, maybe kind of hold back a bit and spy him a little bit and just kind of watch where he goes. Maybe, but, you know, I think, and the reason I hesitate is they try to do that with, I guess, Jordan Travis in week one against Florida State when Perkins is playing off ball. And he was basically just parked in the middle of the defense with his eyes trained on Jordan Travis. Travis took off, Perkins' job was to go get him. And that's when he got caught in the wash so many times with those big offensive linemen coming downhill at him, and it just didn't neutralize him. So, you know, I think Harold's best role is going to be bending the edge and forcing a decision from from the quarterback. So I, that's what I'm expecting to see. For me, like we mentioned a bit ago, I think the, the more interesting thing is going to be how does Dan Enos counter that? You know that guy's coming, so you got to know where he is and where he's coming from. Well, does that mean – you run more draws. Does KJ take off and, and, and run to avoid that pressure? Um, is it short passing game? I mean, that's that's the cat and mouse game that's that's interesting. That's that's forced when you have a guy like Perkins come off the edge. Because, like you, you said, Joe, I mean, Harold Perkins changed the game last year. He just it that's just the I mean, it's just a fact. Mm-hmm. If he wasn't on the field, you, you may very well have a, a different final result in that game. Even though he's coming off the edge, does he stay on one side for the most part, or does he move from left to right? Yeah, he'll move. You'll see him mostly on on the right side, but he will move, um, and and you'll see different looks as well. I don't want to go like too inside baseball here, but something they did last week was uh, a, one of their 
it's kind of funny we're talking about Perkins being an, an athletic freshman coming off the edge. That guy this year is Deshaun Womack, who was a five-star. And, guys, he's probably not big enough yet to play that big end spot where he can help and run support. Um, we're, you know, we're saving on Jones is playing for LSU, but he's a guy that's super athletic, and Brian Kelly said we're going to get him on the field. So you'll see these defensive fronts where it's Braden Swinson, who's an athletic edge from Oregon, Harold Perkins, Deshaun Womack, where they just go all speed on the line of scrimmage. And they, they it was effective last week against Mississippi State. I mean, they made Will Rogers a not-so-much-fun. But I, I'd also say it's a very, very different challenge because Will Rogers isn't a running threat. Certainly not the way that KJ, when he gets rolling downhill at 250 pounds, can be. So um, you'll probably see some of that, but it's a, it's just a very different challenge from, from a week ago. Well, Matt, everybody, or I shouldn't say everybody, most people, Razorback fans, they're not very happy right now. They, they don't feel good uh, coming off that loss to BYU where they beat themselves most of the time. It's not, not a great feeling overall, but I got to ask you, because I know the perspective here in Arkansas, but what would be the reaction down there in Baton Rouge if Arkansas went in there and beat LSU? Like, what would the, what would the fan base deal like? What would be the, the end result? Like, just how would that impact everybody's feeling about not only the season, but about Brian Kelly and everything if Arkansas went down there and won? It would be a melt. Um, <laughs> I, you, look, you can't lose at home as an 18-point favorite. And I, I know not everyone considers the point spread, but, you know, so, so much of the reaction to an individual game result depends on what it means in the macro. And when the macro for this season coming in was LSU should be a, a playoff caliber team with a veteran quarterback returning and so much talent and building off a year where you won 10 games and beat Bama and won the West and all that stuff, the expectation was take the next step. Well, if you lose two games before October, brother, your season's over. Like, their playoff aspirations are gone before you even get to October. And I, I think that would cause a lot of people to sit back and, and reassess what they, they really think the, the ceiling might be for this program under Brian Kelly. I'm not saying that's fair. I'm not saying that's how I feel. But I'm telling you, that will be the conversation next, next week in Baton Rouge if LSU loses Saturday. Well, Matt, we just got about a minute. Uh, real quick, I'm curious for any Razorback fans that are going to be traveling down to Baton Rouge for the first time. I'm sure they're going to have a, a lot of their work cut out for them. But what's kind of the thing, especially around game day, that you think that Razorback fans need to check out and see down there in Baton Rouge, and uh, to whether it's restaurants or just uh, atmosphere and events, just what's the thing to do down there in Baton Rouge? Well, it might be tough to get a table now, but I always tell people catch catch Rafinos on a Friday night of an LSU home game, and it's. It's a, it, whether you're an LSU fan, right? It doesn't matter. It's a, it's just a, a, a great atmosphere. Of course, Ruffin Rodriguez played at LSU, who tragically passed a few years ago. It's, it's his namesake, but it's the tradition lives on, and, and it's a great spot. But man, if you're just popping in on game day, my best recommendation is get here early and just walk around and, and go, go be friendly and meet people because, man, LSU fans love the tailgate and they'll, they'll feed anybody and, and give you a cold beer. So just. Just walk around and, and take it all in. And hopefully, guys, I think the weather's supposed to be really nice tomorrow, too. Guys, I hate to say it's, like, it's not really a cool snap, but the, the overnight temps have been upper 60s and the, the daytime highs have been upper 80s, low 90s. So it's been a bit of a of a break from the triple-digit temps. So it should be a great day on campus tomorrow Razor or Rec on, on Saturday. Yeah, Razorback fans probably going to need plenty of shots to go along with it, too, for that game and what's going to be uh, going on. So I'm sure they'll appreciate it. But that's Matt Moscona, host of After Further Review on 104.5 ESPN down there in Baton Rouge. Matt, as always, appreciate it, man. Enjoy the weekend. We'll catch up with you later down the road.
Okay, guys, see you.